a number of saints, the festival of the Epiphany became a feast of adoration, an invitation to adoration. And the church affirms this, or confirms it, if you will, by the rubric placed in the middle of the gospel after the words, and they fell down and adored him. The rubric has us at that moment fall down and adore right in the middle of the gospel. Uh, this is part of the pedagogy of Mother Church. These are uh, memorable moments within the celebration of the liturgy that in some way inscribe themselves into the heart's memory and become part of our being brought up in the faith by Mother Church through the liturgy. The association of the child Jesus enthroned in the manger, because the manger is the throne of the King of Kings, before which the Magi from the East fall down and adore. There has always been, in the tradition of the Church, an association of the child Jesus in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, of course, means house of bread. So there has always been an association of the child Jesus in Bethlehem with the adorable and life-giving mystery of the Eucharist. And nowhere is this made clearer, to my mind, than in the Byzantine liturgy. In the Byzantine church, the altar of preparation would be on this side of the holy table. It would be here. And it's customary to place over the altar of preparation, that is to say where the bread and wine are prepared for the holy sacrifice, it's customary to place an icon of the nativity of the Lord. So right away, the link is established that in some way, the mystery of the Most Holy Eucharist prolongs and actualizes the mystery of the Incarnation. And if this by itself were not enough, the, the uh, picture of the Nativity being placed right over where the bread and wine are prepared, there's something else. On the pattern, or the discos, as it's called in Byzantine usage, uh, the, the uh, holy bread is placed, uh, cut into small squares, and, and placed in a uh, specified order, signifying the mother of God and the patriarchs and the prophets and the saints and all of those whom the priest desires to commemorate in the divine liturgy. And when he has finished uh, preparing the little pieces of bread, he takes an instrument that is made of gold and uh, it is in the form of a cross and the ends are bent down so that it can rest on top of the pattern. And from that little structure, about so big, there is suspended a golden star, a little tiny star. And the priest takes that and he kisses it. And he puts it on top of the pattern over the bread 
saying, And the star came and stood over where the child was. What could be clearer? Bethlehem, house of bread, the star came and stood over where the child was. And once the bread has been made ready, set apart for the sacrifice, uh, with the star over it and veiled, it is carried uh, out of the uh, lateral door of the icon screen uh, and then uh, carried into the church. This, of course, is the movement of the star to the altar. The star, however, remains Veiled. Uh, veils in the liturgy signify uh, an invitation to faith, to go beyond what is seen to what is not seen. That's why in the liturgy we veil so many things. Anything sacred is veiled, you see. Chalice is veiled. The tabernacle is veiled. In the sacred liturgy, the most precious things are veiled. And the veil is always an invitation. It, it in some ways says... There is more here than what meets the eye. Because if something is not veiled, we can all too easily assume, well, I get it. There's nothing, I don't have to stretch. I don't have to exercise the theological virtue of faith and go beyond what is seen to what is unseen. Whereas when there is a veil, it's, the church is saying there's more here than what meets the eye. Go beyond what is seen to what is unseen. This is the significance of the veil. And so the, the holy gifts, veiled, are carried then through the church to the altar. And uh, arriving at the altar, the priest unveils the gifts, and there you have the star. And that little star is suspended right over the bread that will become the body of Christ. Uh, this to me speaks speaks volumes. It speaks more than uh, it's possible to write books on the relationship of the mystery of the Incarnation with the mystery of the Most Holy Eucharist. Uh, it's, it's possible to preach on it, and yet this simple object used in the liturgy sums it all up and says it all. Now, there are those who would say that saints, for example, St. Peter, Julian, Aymar, who uh, associated the incarnation, the nativity, the epiphany especially, with the Most Holy Eucharist, and saw that the adoration of the Most Holy Eucharist, both within the Mass and then prolonged outside of Mass, or if you will, from one Mass to the next, he, he, he understood, he, he grasped intuitively that this uh, adoration of the Most Holy Eucharist is uh, the accomplishment, the fulfillment through time until the end of the ages of the adoration of the Magi, who fell down and worshipped the child, having been led to him by the star. And the star came and stood over where the child was. And they going in found the child with Mary, his mother, and falling down. They adored him. Uh, St. Peter Julian, when he began his uh, congregation of the Most Blessed Sacrament, uh, inaugurated the first 
exposition of the Blessed Sacrament for adoration on the Feast of the Epiphany. Now, there are those who would say, well, St. Peter Julian was very 19th century, and of course, had he a better knowledge of uh, the scriptures and of the uh, patristic texts and of the liturgy, perhaps he would have approached the Eucharist from a different perspective. Nonetheless, his intuition was absolutely sound and in line with an intuition that was growing in the heart of the church down through the ages. Of course, it finds expression in one way in the East, especially by the, the custom of the, the asteriscos placed over the lamb, the host, uh, called the lamb in the East. And, and in the West, the monstrance takes the form of, generally speaking, a star, or, uh, if you will, a sun. Uh, and the star came and stood over where the child was. Uh, so, you know, these, we mustn't discount uh, the, the very material things used in the liturgy, the, the practices that uh, over time uh, emerge in the life of the church and give new expression to her faith. Her faith is ancient and unchanging, and yet every age, uh, under the influence of the Holy Ghost, gives another expression or rediscovers old expressions of the unchanging faith of the church. And so, you know, we're, we're making this, this novena during these days to commemorate the first exposition of the Blessed Sacrament by St. Peter Julian in view of establishing his uh, society of adorers. But I, I wouldn't want us to think that this is uh, some kind of um, sentimental attachment to this uh, marvelous figure of sanctity in the 1800s and that it all stops there. No, there is continuity. Uh, there is um, something much bigger, uh, much greater going on. I would say then that uh, the grace of these days is to allow ourselves to be led by the star. The star moves. We follow the star. It leads us to the altar. And there, in the place marked by the star, we find the Word made flesh, the Lamb, who in the adorable and life-giving mystery of the Eucharist nourishes us with his own sacred body and precious blood. <laughs>